chapter 2, please. Thanks, Paul, and all the musicians for doing that song. I love that song. And uh, some of the lyrics from that song come right from the text we are going to be discussing this evening. So Colossians chapter 2, please. Um, To be quite honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous about this one. Okay, you probably sensed that this morning as I talked briefly about it. It's a really difficult text. It's, it's difficult translation. The translation work is very difficult in this text. Probably uh, two verses in here might be the most difficult verses to translate in Colossians. And then the interpretation of the text, application of the text. How can I be, I, I want to be totally honest with the text. Totally honest with the text. I don't, I don't want to pull any punches that the text is bringing. Um, but it's difficult. It's hard. It's really hard. So I'll, I'll just say this. I, I want to present to you um, I, the text. I want you guys to be asking, what does the text actually say? What does the text say? Now, what does Paul Campbell think about? It? What does the text say? Um, and I, I sincerely welcome feedback. I'd love to hear thoughts. Where was I off there? Yeah, maybe I should have this way or that way. Please um, give me some feel. There's some hard things. I might say some difficult things, things you might disagree with, and um, hopefully hopefully Brent agrees with me. No, (laughs) keep my job. No. um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I I brought this text to our staff meeting two, two weeks ago, two Tuesdays ago. I mean, we... We uh, worked through it, and we went back and forth for a little bit past way too long. And, um, and we're just working through this text. Like, what is it saying? Well, it must mean this. Well, that's not what it says. Especially the last verse we'll get to. We'll spend most of our, uh, probably half our time on that, that part. But, um, uh, and so we worked through it, and finally I got some clarity on it. And then I came home, and... I talked to Abby about it at lunchtime, and uh, I was just, you know, and she's like, well, this is what it means. I'm like, yeah, you're right, actually. <laughs> That's what we came to. You're way smarter than all of us. All right. Um, so uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, but, you know, we, we worked through this. This is a very difficult text. Um, all of it is, really, to me. And uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why it's very convicting. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenging text to think through. Um, and I, I, my prayer is that you walk away having dealt with the text. You walk away thinking, what does the text say? You walk away thinking, no, that was Paul Campbell's idea. Fine, we'll put that way over here. What does the text say? So that's my prayer. That's been my prayer for you. That's my prayer every time, I think, especially on this one for some reason. Um, but... Uh, Let's, let's jump into this. So, again, welcome any feedback you would have for me on these things. Um, um, so, this, this morning we talked about the first two imperatives that we saw in chapter 2. Walk in Him and don't get taken captive. As you're walking in Him, don't be taken captive. We talked about what that means, what that looks like, and, and Paul tells us exactly what that means and what that looks like. And the next two imperatives we're going to look at um, are in verses 16 and 18. Let no one judge you. Let no one disqualify you. And as a sub point under the, those two, starting in verse 20, uh, there's, there's this implied imperative through a question, in my opinion. Don't be worldly. Okay? Don't be worldly. We'll come to that. So, let me read the text to you, and then we'll jump right into this and uh, study this together. Therefore... Verse 16, chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. These are a shadow of things to come. It sounded like that song Paul just sang. It's exactly like it. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, a false humility, And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. 
or literally grows with the growth of God. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's go. Number one, let no one judge you. Okay, verse 16, let no one, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. So we, we just saw that we are to walk in him. We are not to be taken captive by empty and deceitful philosophies. Right? Because they're according to human tradition. They're according to the elemental principles of this world. And they're not according to Christ. There's some kind of addition. Here's Christ, but add this thing over here. And you'll be some like more deeply spiritual or more super spiritual or something. And here, he's going to get into precise examples of what he's talking about. Two categories. I think I heard Pastor Daniel uh, use these two words uh, when he, he does a great job in Romans 14, 15. It's all of Romans, all of the Bible, actually. But uh, he does a great job on that, the is- dealing with issues of reasoning from uh, Romans 14, 15, and 16. Um, uh, the two categories, he says, of diet and days. And uh, there's two categories here, and it's pretty explicit, in my opinion, in the Greek as well. But the two categories are food and drink and... So diet, food and drink, and days. Uh, regard to festival, new moon, or Sabbaths. You, you, the diet. Maybe they're saying you need to stay away from these foods, these drinks, possibly meats, wine, or you must partake in these things. You must not or you must. Or, so they're insisting on these things. Or, what about days? You need to celebrate these special days and holidays. We need to, we need to have these special festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. Or you must be one who speaks out against them. He's saying, don't let anybody pass judgment on you, on, on you in questions of food and drink. With regard to festival, new moon, Sabbaths. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to these things. There, there's a false teachers out there insisting on these things or insisting on saying no to these different things. Food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbaths. Don't let them judge you. But also, don't be judging people in regards to these things. So don't let them judge you, but you don't be judging people in regards to these things. See how that, that the way he's worded that, um, uh, that command, that imperative, it kind of goes both ways. We should not be judged by it. We shouldn't be judging people in regards to these things either. So, but why? Why should we not judge people in regards to food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbaths? Why? Verse 17. These are a shadow of, of things to come. Some translations say, of things that were to come. Things fine. But the substance belongs to Christ. Substance belongs to Christ. Um, Contrast these things with Christ. The first clause is the criticism. The second clause here is the, the Christological contrast. The shadow versus body. Literally, body is what it says. Shadow. So there's a body. A body casts a shadow. Okay. Um, these things, food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath, Sabbaths, they are mere shadows. But now you have Christ, the fulfillment. Verse ten, the fulfillment. So don't let anyone judge you or cast judgment upon you. These things. He's now regulated to mere shadows. Now that the mystery has been revealed, we saw that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, this mystery has been revealed and Christ is here, He is our fulfillment. We have everything we need in Christ. So let me judge you on these things. You, you hear people say, right? You can't judge me. You don't, don't judge me. You hear that sometimes? Uh, um, 
My dad would talk about that, you know. He said, don't, you hear people say, don't, you can't judge me. You know, the Bible says don't judge, right? Well, we're going to get to that in Matthew chapter 7. Hopefully, uh, Pastor Jim's moving, moving right along. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you not be judged, that you be not judged, right? Don't judge so that you're not judged. Well, keep going in that text. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So for the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So the measure, the judgment you use to judge other people is the measure and judgment that you use, that will be used to judge you. In other words, don't judge, let the text judge people. That's what it's saying. Let, let God be the ultimate judge. Here, don't let anybody pass judgment on you in regards to food, drink, diets and days, don't, uh, food and drink, uh, festival, new moon, and Sabbath. Um, an author uh, one author says this, that Paul would, without any qualification, can regulate Sabbaths to shadows certainly indicates that he does not seem that them as binding and makes it extremely unlikely that he could have seen the Christian first day as a continuation of the Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath rest. Romans 14 jumps into this as well. Um, on these different issues of reasoning, as Pastor Daniel liked to say, which I really appreciate, issues of reasoning, these diet days. Um, I think he says diet days and drink um, in chapter 14 of Romans. So don't let anybody pass judgment. But also, the next verse, let no one, verse, 19, verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without, any re- without reason by a sensuous mind. So he's saying... Number two, let no one disqualify you. Paul teaches us four things about these false teachers and says, don't let them disqualify you because this is what the false teachers look like. Here's what they are. They are insisting on asceticism. Big word, it's a false kind of humility. It's check me out. Check out how humble I am. You know, I wrote a book about the three most humble people, right? You heard this one? And how I, how I trained the other two, you know? It's a pretty good book. I didn't really do that. All right. uh, so this kind of false humility, asceticism, this false humility. Um, Sermon on the Mount is going to go there, right? We've already seen that a little bit already. This, this false humility, look at me give. I'm such a good giver. Look at me pray. I'm such a good prayer. Look at me fast. I'm a great faster. Insisting on a false kind of humility. Number two, they insist on the worship of angels. Now that, that seems a little bit odd to me, but at that time, as I read about this and think on this, meditate on this, I think it becomes a little more clear. At that time, there were some people who insisted on prayer and worship of angels. Really? Maybe, listen to this, maybe praying to them to ward off evil. A guardian angel kind of mythology. They would call on angels to protect them um, and they are elevating them in their worship. We have Christ. We have Christ. Number three, they focus on visions that they have experienced. Okay, this is tough. What if somebody has a vision about something and they really saw this in their sleep or when this was happening, they really saw this vision about something. Or if they were in like a near-death experience and they had this vision and they write a book about it. Well, I heard somebody say, I don't remember which mentor of mine it was now, but um, they said, and I, I really appreciate this, I never question people's experience, but I will question their interpretation of it. I will never question their experience, but I will question their interpretation of it. The, the experience can never be elevated above the teaching of the Scriptures. So you had this experience, I saw, I saw this angel, and this angel spoke to me in this way and told me, well, what does the text say? I'm always like, okay, what does the text say? What does the scripture say? Go there. They, they may even write books about visions they had or visions their kid had. Um, just do a YouTube search on David Platt, Heaven is for Real. And I'll read you a part of it. It's, I think, uh, maybe four or five minute long video uh, from a secret church that he did a couple of years ago, three years ago now, on the issue of heaven, hell, and the end of the world. 
And he brings this up in this quote. So David Platt, Heaven is for Real, he says, The best-selling evangelical book of the past decade is Heaven Heaven is for Real. A fanciful account of a four-year-old boy talks about how he went to heaven and got a halo and wings, but he didn't like them because they were too small. He claims he sat on Jesus' lap while angels sang to him. He even met the Holy Spirit, who he describes as kind of blue. Blue. Over seven million copies sold. And he, David Platt goes on to list these other books, book after book after book after book about these kinds of experience. And he says, make no mistake, there is money to be made in peddling fiction about the afterlife as nonfiction in the world of Christian publishing today. And that's what's so disturbing about the entire trend, is David Platt continuing. These books are being published and then devoted um, as people who would describe themselves, uh, devoured by, peop- as peop- by people who would describe themselves as born-again Christians. Born-again, Bible-believing Christians. The whole premise behind every single one of these books is contrary to everything God's Word says about heaven. I'll leave you to look at the rest of that, read, uh, listen to the rest of that, watch the rest of that. He goes on. Uh, he quotes this long quote by John MacArthur that hits really hard. And um, talks about, he brings up the different texts where somebody uh, has, or people have visions. I think there's four where people have visions about heaven. And their response. Talks about what is in these kinds of visions and then what is missing what is, in, what is missing from the text vision of heaven. So they have these experiences. They're focused on visions that they have experienced. They're, they're going on in detail about visions, the text says. And they're puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. So that's number four. Puffed up without reason in their sensuous mind. We, we have the truth because we were chosen for this vision. God chose me to have this vision, and so we got the truth. So you want to hear the truth? I'm going to do this book. I'm going to do this speaking engagement. We're going to go around. I'm going to tell you what I saw, and everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Meanwhile, they're looking straight over their scriptures, straight past it. Their puff-headedness is without reason. <laughs> you see that? There's no reason. It is, based, it is not based in the facts. Just experience with visions. Or... They're puffed up because of the extra rules and regulations they have placed on themselves, insisting on asceticism. Um, they, they're puffed up because of extra rules they, and regulations they have placed on themselves. I have added these kinds of rules and regulations and restrictions on me and my family, so we must be super spiritual. We're a cut above, and we're going to insist that you do the same. Puffed up. Without reason. By a sensuous, fleshly Mind, based on their sinful, fleshly mind. Doug Moo says this, They have minds all right, but minds that are thoroughly oriented to this world rather than the next. This world rather than the next. That's one of the big differences between what, uh, in chapter 2, Paul is talking about the false teachers in chapter 2. The false teaching in chapter 2 is based on this world, this world, this world, this world. And then, at the beginning of chapter 3, Set your minds on things above. Set your minds on things above. So, that's what they are doing, verse 18. What are they not doing, verse 19? They're not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. They, they've abandoned the person in whom they are to be rooted and built up. They've abandoned him. They've abandoned the person who is nourishing them, who can nourish them, who who knits them together, growing with the growth of God. Um, we, We get these things, we get these things, this nourishment, this knitting together growth from connecting ourselves to the head. You see that imagery? Connecting ourselves, the body connecting itself to the head. If a body has no head, body's not in a good situation. So do we want to be unified? We want to be unified as a church. We want to be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we want to be adequately nourished? 
Do we want to be growing with the growth that's from God? Hold fast to Christ, the head. Hold fast to Him. The the leader of this body, the, the true substance, not just a shadow, the true substance, the one who fills us. Him alone. Hold fast to Him alone. Again, Doug Moose says, the false teachers were apparently professing Christians who, because of their preoccupation with rules and spiritual beings and visions, had lost contact with the only effective source for spiritual growth. Connection to the head. We grow spiritually, be connected to the head. Look to Him for rules and commandments. Look to Him for instruction on how to grow and deal with sin in our lives. For nourishment, for growth, for being knit together. Flip back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is going to say the same kinds of things. Okay, Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 1 he says, I therefore am a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, does it sound familiar from this morning? I walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Look down in verse 15. Okay, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see that? You see that? When the whole body being joined together, held, by, held together by every joint, when it's, when it's equipped, it, when it's working properly, the body is building itself up. Because it's attached to the head. Building itself up in love. Back to Colossians, please. So, Paul will dig now a little bit deeper into this false teaching. And he's going to show, showing us the real value of these additional rules and regulations that are being put on the Colossian church. Um, he says, verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Okay, we we tend to have a view of worldliness that is more along the lines of, um, we look at 1 John chapter 2, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Right, And we think in terms of sensuality or running away from God, gross sin. We think of those kinds of things. But is there a, another direction worldliness can go, real worldliness can go, that I think would be applied in 1 John chapter 2 to the pride of life? There's another direction worldliness can go. And it's this, increasing regulation. So I'm going to say some things here, but um, don't lose me. Okay? Keep, keep tracking with me and uh, with the text, I should say. Keep tracking with the text, uh, but follow me here. Increased regulation. Is that what it's saying here? If with Christ you died to the element, elemental principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, use the world in the world is used twice there to, for um, emphasis. It's of the world, of this world, of this time, not centered our minds on things that are above, verse chapter 3. If you're, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Um, look, you, you have died to the things of this world. Why then, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to them? Don't submit to them. You're free. There's rules and regulations that are added to Christianity that are, in fact, worldly. They refer to things that are of this world. What's Paul's point? Believers no longer count the world as their true home or as a place that dictates who they are or how they are to live. Read that again. That's from Doug Moo again. Believers no longer count the world as their true home or as a place that dictates who they are or how they are to live. Well, what would be some examples of this? Verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Okay? Augustine says, um, well, 
One author says this is a very sarcastic tone that Paul is using. Um, Augustine says, sure, he used these words in mockery of those by whom he did not want his followers to be deceived and led astray. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Apparently they were saying, if you're going to be totally fulfilled, then you need to abstain from certain food and drink, perhaps even meat and wine. You need, need to abstain totally from those things, and you need to, you need to go after these Festivals, new moon, seven, these additional things. Paul mocks them. That's how you're going to find full satisfaction? Is by adding this restriction? That's how you're going to find full satisfaction? By adding a restriction? Paul has three things to say about these restrictions, okay? Look at verse 22. Referring to these things, referring to things, that all perish as they are you. So if anything, all perish, they're, they're of this world. Next, they're according to human precepts and teachings. They're mere humans made this stuff up. They're not from Christ. These regulations are outside of what Christ actually teaches. Then we come to this verse. Here we are. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They have an appearance of value, but they are of no value. They're empty and deceitful. Sound familiar? Chapter 2, verse 8. Empty and deceitful. They, they have an appearance of value, of wisdom, but they have no value. Um, so there's two parts to this, okay? Two parts to this. Uh, they, um, they, part A, they have a wise kind of appearance, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. The rules actually look kind of wise. Like, oh, that actually makes sense. Yeah, do that, and that'll solve your problems. Have this regulation, have this rule, have this restriction, that'll solve your problems. That's wise. That, that'll change you. That'll straighten your kid out. You just add this rule. Your kid will be straightened out. It, it looks wise because of three things, right? He says it. Because of three things, it looks wise. There's a self-made religion. It seems very disciplined. Wow, they're, they're pretty disciplined as adding this restriction. It's pretty impressive. They seem pretty humble. It's a asceticism, a false kind of humility. Seems very, wow, they, they had that restriction. That's a pretty humble move there. Wow, that's pretty good. It, it, it also, it goes so far as to appear to be so severe to the body. You see that here? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. And what, why do they look wise? Because in promoting self-made religion and in asceticism and severity to the body. That's why they look wise. It looks very disciplined, very humble. looks even severe to the body. Wow. You have restricted yourself so much. That must be so hard on you. That seems pretty wise. It's disciplined. seems pretty humble. Um, it, it seems like you've restricted themselves so hard that, man, that's, that's good. That's going to solve your problems, right? That's, no, the answer is no. It's, it's going to solve you. Like, if you have these restrictions, man, your problems will be just fine. Part B. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Really? If I set up rules that look wise and disciplined and humble and very difficult, and I'm able to follow them fully, no value? What? What do we do with this text? Okay, no rules. Do whatever you want. It's whatever you want. Is that what we do? Say no rules at all? The kids, sorry, I'm not going to give you any more rules to say to my kids, do whatever you want. Is that what we're saying? No. Okay. Thank you. No. How are we going to interpret this text, though, without pulling the punch? It's got some punch. Well, (laughs) first, these restrictions restrictions will not commend you to God. Okay? We have rules in the youth group. We have rules in our home. Christian schools have rules. 
right? Even public schools have rules. Um, rules in the youth group. We have, for example, we have a dress code. When we go to the beach, we have a dress code. Am I then saying that every person in the entire world, if they don't follow my rules for beach dress, then they must be terrible, rotten sinners, and that they're in sin because they didn't follow my rule on this, where the line's supposed to be drawn and whatever? We have a rule in our home where our kids have to ask to get down from the table. They have to ask. And does that mean if you don't have that rule in your home, then, man, it's no good. This rule commends these kids to God. Are we saying that? No. What about, this is one I heard when I was in high school. I went to a, grew up in a Christian school, and we had a rule in our Christian school that our shirts had to be tucked in. And we had people that would complain about this rule saying things like, well, we're not a good Christian if we untuck our shirts. Is the school saying that if you go outside of this school or if you're playing basketball and your shirt comes untucked, then you're automatically a terrible, this is a terrible restriction that um, has been applied. Is that what we're saying? No. That the, if we are saying those things, that's an added restriction and it's not commending us to God. You must have your shirt tucked in in order to be commended to God. That's not what we're saying. But what about added restrictions in order to keep us from sinning? Because that's what it's saying. It's saying, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What about that? What about added restrictions to keep us from sinning? Okay, sinning. So I'm going to give a couple of examples here. Uh, so here we go. Like computer restrictions. For someone who's dealing with pornography or whatever it is on the computer, don't even touch that computer at this point. Add this kind of filter to your computer. Is that going to stop the indulgence of the flesh? It seems wise. Seems humble, seems super restrictive, maybe even severe. Don't touch your computer. Well, what's the fleshly thing they are indulging in? Touching a computer? Lust. So, if you say to someone, add these restrictions in your life and you'll be all set. Everything will be just fine. And you don't, you haven't dealt with the heart issue. You haven't dealt with the sin issue. Lust. If someone really wants to lust, no matter what the restriction you put on them, they'll still find a way to lust. Have them become a monk. Sit them by themselves. How does one give in to lusts? Their own desires. Deal with the heart issue. So yes, have restrictions on things. Have rules. But know that the heart must change, not just the outward action. That's what he's saying. Just the heart must change, not just these outward actions. So have rules about your computer. I think there's some, there's some wisdom in that. But know that just because you have this rule that your heart will be changed, the sin that you're dealing with, or you have this rule on your kid on these certain things, and no, you're thinking, now their heart will be just fine in this, this area. It's not true. The restriction will not stop the indulgence of the flesh. Deal with the heart issue. Take alcoholism, for example. Someone dealing with drunkenness, which is clear sin in the scriptures. Is it okay for us to tell them, don't even take a sip of any kind of alcohol? No, not even a sip. Even stay away from using wine to cook with. Is that okay? Of course that's okay. That's actually a great idea. But know that you haven't dealt with the sin issue. Maybe they're using alcohol to escape from reality. They don't want to deal with the pressures of this life they're facing. They're trying to escape. Now they don't want to drink alcohol anymore. You've solved that problem, right? They don't want to drink alcohol anymore. Cool. They're not getting drunk. Fantastic. But now they're over here. It's going to, their, their escapism is going to show up over here. You haven't dealt with the heart sin issue, the fleshly sin issue, trying to escape from reality, so they think. It's going to show up over here. Now they're escaping by playing video games all night. Now they're escaping by working out. Now they're escaping through the use of the Internet. Here we are, back to computer restrictions. So what's the point here, in my opinion? What is the point? These regulations have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because the indulgence of the flesh is a heart issue. Deal with the heart issue. Sure, add restrictions. Fine, do that. It was a great idea. Add the restrictions. But no, the restriction is not going to solve the heart problem. Deal with the heart. James 1 back here somewhere. 
verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured away, lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We don't need help sinning, right? We, we need to be dealing with our heart desire issues. The second part of this is if, if, you, if you need to add these restrictions to yourself, don't insist on adding them to everyone else. I need to add this restriction over here on computer. I need to have this restriction over here, whatever it might be. I need to add this restriction. I'm going to draw the line right here. And because I have this sin problem, or my, I don't want my kid to have this sin problem. And then we insist on everybody drawing the line in these particular places. And if they're not, well, they're not, they're not quite as good Christian as I am. They're insisting on addition. So, application, real fast. Number one, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody disqualify you in regard to these things. Here's the thing. We're, going, we're all going to have different rules, regulations in regard to some of these things. Music, modesty, food, drink, computers, phones, social media. Don't let anybody judge you. Because they're not the ultimate judge. Some of us need to be judged by God. We need to search our hearts to be sure we're doing things right. Doing things the right, right kinds of We have the right kinds of motivations. And fleshly motivations. We, we're living righteous. We need to be approached by brothers and pointed in the right direction. We need that. It's not saying don't approach your brother and talk to him about some sin issue. not saying that. It's saying you can do that. But the judge is not you. Judge the text. Judges Christ. Know that no, this is not always because we sometimes we need to be approached by our brothers, we need to be pointed in the right direction. Some, no, sometimes it's not always the case. We can agree, disagree on some of these things and still be united. These different issues of reasoning. Don't don't be judged and don't pass judgment on some some of these outside restrictions. We could very well be in the wrong where we draw the line on a restriction. Could be wrong. Number two, realize that rules won't ultimately solve the problem. Make a rule. So if I, if I make a rule to the youth group, this is what I want you guys to wear if we go to the beach. Some kid really wants to lust. You're going to find a way to lust. Make it hard on them. This kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and setting these rules. Man, I am, I, I, I'm setting these difficult restrictions and I'm severity to the body. It looks really difficult, very disciplined. Just kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm going to add these restrictions and then magically my heart will change. It's false teaching. Lastly, deal with the heart issue. What do we do if restrictions aren't alone going to cut it? What restrictions? Are, what do we do if restrictions aren't going to cut it? How do we how do we deal? I mean, it's all I know to do is if it's not. You need to stop doing this. So I make a rule: stop doing this. Is that what we do? Is that going to solve the heart issue? What do we do if restrictions alone aren't going to cut it? Colossians three is going to show us exactly how to do that. Exactly. So here's your reading assignment. Ready? Colossians three. I'll be teaching in Colossians 3 in May at some point. And uh, how to deal with sin. How do we deal with sin? Colossians 3. Go there. Read the text. Study the text. Come ready. The next time I get a chance to teach in Colossians chapter 3, be ready to hear. Be ready to listen. Be ready to be changed by this. The, the text is guiding us. It's leading us. These restrictions, these restrictions aren't ultimately going to solve the problem. We need to deal with the heart. Christ is all we need. All we need. These other things, shadows, the substance belongs to Christ. Stay connected to the head. Let's pray to that end. Oh God, thank you for this text. Um, will, you, will you forgive us when we think that a restriction, a rule would change our hearts. Will you forgive us when we say, when we're tempted to think that 
a rule will fix someone. Help us to pursue people's hearts. Help us to um, help us to find our satisfaction in you, be fulfilled in you, stay attached to the head. Help us not to pass judgment upon people, disqualify people on different things in regards to food and drink and festivals and days and um, new moon, Sabbaths. Lord, help us not to disqualify people based on human tradition. Help us stay attached to the head. Help us not to be worldly in adding these restrictions that don't deal with the heart. So, Lord, will you help us as we now jump into Colossians chapter 3 and study hard? We want to be changed. We want to see change in our life. We want to see change in our brothers and sisters' lives. We want to see change in our kids' lives. Help us to pursue the hearts of people. And Lord, you're the one who changes people's hearts. So we ask that you would soften hearts for the hearing of your word. You soften hearts so that it would be accepted in a humble kind of way. God, we want your name to be honored. We pray that you do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing a closing song.